Well, this is normally the part of the show where one of the leaders will come up and they will read the passage that we are going to usually read and that would be preached on. We're going to do something slightly different today. And before I do that, I want to tell you a little anecdote that I was remembering this week. Um, I went to a pastor's conference once, and people paid money to go to the pastor's conference to mainly hear people, preachers that they love, um, preach from the Bible. And one pastor's conference that I went to in particular, the pastor went up, and he began by saying, I'm going to preach from Psalm 119, and I'm going to preach about the importance of the Word of God. So please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 119, and we're going to read all of Psalm 119. I see you reaching for your Bibles. This is what he said, not what I'm saying. <laughs> um, so everyone did, and he read all of Psalm 119. It's 176 verses. And when he was done, he preached a 30-minute sermon, and many people afterwards were angry. And the reason was because they said, we paid good money to hear someone preach, and instead, a guy went up there, and he read us the Bible that we already know. And another pastor later got up because he had heard so many people complain, and he said, this is exactly why he needed to just read the Bible. Because we care so much for other people talking about the Bible, but we don't care about actually hearing from the Bible. And so as a result of that, he turned to, um, I believe it's in First, uh, Second Timothy, and there's a passage where it says, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture not just to the study of scripture, not just to the memory of scripture, but to the public reading of scripture. And that had impacted me a lot, and I remember how important it was for me to have time with believers to actually read the word of God. Now, in tandem to that, one of the things I've been thinking is that myself and Will and Josh and Evan uh, have preached to you a number of messages, actually 26 from the book of Colossians from this year, but at the same time, what we really need to be able to do is not just take all sorts of information, data, and anecdotes that we've given you and hope that it's helpful. We need to actually make sure that that information turns you to your Bibles so that you can open it up. You can remember that all of that information hopefully was directly from the Bible and therefore be able to meditate on that truth, not from us, but from God's word. So for both of those reasons, I want you to grab your Bibles. And what we're going to start with today is we're going to read the whole book of Colossians. There's going to be two things happening tonight. We're going to read the book of Colossians, and then I'm going to talk for just a little bit about a couple of things that I hope you took from Colossians. And if you're absolutely exhausted, and there's absolutely no way that you can pay attention to both, the priority is to pay attention to what's going to happen now, which is reading this. I want you to have the word in front of you. I want us to be able to read it together, and I want us to actually believe it's God's word. And as we do it, I want you to ask yourself this question as we read it, and ask God to answer the question from the book of Colossians. Here's the question. What is so important about Christ? What is so important about Christ? As we read through, I'm not going to ask from you, but I hope when you guys start your small groups, that can be one of the first things you guys can answer. When you go to your small groups, the first question I want you guys to just briefly talk about is what does the book of Colossians tell us about the importance of Christ. So if you're in Colossians, we're going to read the book of Colossians, and then I'll talk for just a little bit about what I hope you guys have learned from Colossians. The letter of Paul to the Colossians, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, 
grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us from the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world? Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy 
and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear just how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. 
grace be with you. As one of my old pastors used to say, so reads the word of the living God, and we believe it. What is so important about Christ? There's lots of answers, and I'm sure there's lots of answers that are very good. I'm sure there's lots of questions that you would find this is the most important thing we need to know. And I'm sure there's lots of answers that this has been important for me to know that I could grow to know the Lord and love him more. Or you honestly might be asking the question, if you were to tell me I know there's something important about Christ, but we learned a lot about Christ over the last whole year and I don't exactly know exactly what's important about Christ or I would have a difficult time trying to explain. We've given you a lot of details about Christ as we've continued in this series for a year but I want to tell you briefly at least two things, two quick things that I hope sum up a lot of the message of Colossians that I hope you can walk away with so that when you think of Christ, you know that there's at least two things that make him incredibly important. The first thing is this, coming to Christ is enough. Coming to Christ is enough. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the actor Jim Carrey. So even now, even though he's been around for a long time, he's probably one of the most famous actors out there, one who has one of the best records of notoriety in terms of famous movies he's done. I saw an article recently where he was just talking about his life and going over how as a kid he was um, basically, as a teenager, he had to support his family until he was about 17. He worked a stand-up comedy gig, not only because he wanted to be famous, but because it was a way for him to support his family. They were reliant on him for years. But eventually when he was 17, he moved away to Los Angeles. He didn't really have much money. He didn't really have much connections. But he very much wanted to work hard in order to become famous. He was interviewed and asked about his life. And the interviewer asked him, what is one of the most important things you've learned in your quest to become famous? And he said this, desperation. Desperation. He said, I quote, Desperation is a necessary ingredient to learning anything or creating anything. And if you ain't desperate at some point, then you ain't interesting. You need to be desperate. If that is true for any earthly pursuit, any pursuit you want to have in this life, I think there's something much more true about that when it comes to your spiritual life. Desperation is necessary, not in order to run towards what you think is most important, but what is ultimately most important for every single one of us. You need desperation, or you need to understand your situation is desperate in order to run towards what matters most. If we could take that and give it to Paul, I think he'd say this. If you ain't desperate, then you're not coming to Christ. If you ain't desperate, you're not coming to Christ. Paul opens this letter in verse 3 by saying, thanks be to God. And if you were listening through this whole book or through the sermons that we've done, you'll know that Colossians talks about thankfulness all the time. And when Colossians and when Paul is talking about thankfulness, it's not supposed to force you to say, well, I better be thankful or I'm not a Christian, or I better be thankful or I'm doing something wrong. Every time thankfulness comes up, you have to ask the question, Paul, what am I thankful for? 
And the whole rest of the letter of Colossians is answering that question. He says, what we are all so thankful for is Christ. Because I was desperate and you are desperate. And this whole world is desperate for a restored relationship with God. And none of us know it. And the gospel comes into that situation and it starts transforming the whole world globally because the spirit of God is opening people's eyes to the message of the gospel to demonstrate to them, you need God. There's nothing you can do to fix that, but Christ can fix it. The desperation in our situation is explained multiple times in the book of Colossians. Chapter one, verse 21 says, we were alienated and hostile to God. We didn't know God, and if we did, we hated him. Colossians chapter 2, 13 says we were dead in our trespasses. Our sins made us unable to recognize God. And chapter 2, verse 18 says we were puffed up without reason. We were prideful. We were arrogant. We thought we were God. And into that situation, Paul wants to remind us again and again, there is hope. You know the gospel because chapter 1, verse 4, you have faith in Christ Jesus, you have love for the saints, and you have hope in heaven. What is that hope? That hope is explained in chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, when Paul says, Christ delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Even though every single one of us has been a slave to sin, whether we are now or we have been, the cost of our bail was too high, and yet it was paid in full by God. How? Through Christ. And that is not only enough for us, that's more than enough. The reality is that Christ isn't just supposed to be our salvation, and then that's it. It's not accepting the gospel and then suddenly life is whatever. Paul wants to give us the greatest and most glorious vision of who Christ is so that as a result of seeing how good he is, we'd be desperate not just for the gospel, but to live a life with him and get more and more of him. That's why we have Colossians 1, 15 to 20, which is one of the greatest explanations of who Jesus is in the entire New Testament. And that explanation is telling us that Christ is not just a man. He is God. Christ is God. And it doesn't mean that just a man named Jesus died for you. It means God sent his only son, God himself, to die for you. The point is that shouldn't force us into thankfulness. That should make us joyfully reach out to Christ to accept the free gift of salvation that he has given us and live a restored life with God, because God died for our sins. The point of the result of that is that Paul can then take Christ who is God and put him beside false teachers who have come into the church, and he can compare the two. Say, you have two choices. You can have rigorous, legalistic, unemotional, prideful, arrogant systems of religiosity that are useless, or you can have God who died for you. You can have God who loves you even though there is nothing lovely in you. Which do you want? And he can put that before us in the book of Colossians and make us, us ask ourselves the question, do I have enough? 
And Paul wants to give you an even better answer, which is, yes, you have enough. You have more than enough. Colossians is supposed to tell you that you don't need to define your worthiness by your good works before Christ, before your parents, before your teachers, before future schools, whoever. The goodness you need to be right before God was given you freely in Christ. And all the good works you do after accepting the gospel, believing in Christ, throwing yourself at his feet with dependence on him, every good work you do after is a result of thankfulness, is a result of the salvation that he's already given to you. But that does mean something serious, which means that you just can't add Christ to your life. It can't be, I love this, this, I love this, and then there's Christ on an even shelf with everything else. It means Christ is everything. And your life is all about Christ. And he's worthy of it. And I hope that's the second thing you learn from the book of Colossians, which is this, that living with Christ is everything. Living with Christ is everything. From a number of sermons ago, I gave you guys an illustration that was science-related, and Ashley very funnily told me after that, she's like, you should not give science illustrations. You don't know what you're talking about. But you know what? I have a slightly science illustration, but I researched it far more so that we could get right to the point. I found out something this week that's called the overview effect. The overview effect. And the overview effect is something that's only happened to a limited number of people because it's only happened to people who have gone to the moon. What happened was you had a group of scientists from multiple expeditions to the moon who spent all this time, months and months and months, even years, preparing themselves to go to space and to go to the moon. And even during takeoff, they were focused, they did all their work, they shot up in a rocket, they went through the atmosphere, and off they were headed to the moon. And then they thought of something that they'd never thought of before, which is, I wonder what Earth looks like. And they looked down at Earth, and their mind was literally blown. Just kidding, not literally. Their mind was blown. All sorts of information about how small we are and the fragility of our life and the importance of us as tiny little specks, millions and millions of yards or whatever away. And they just could not think of living on earth the same again. The point of Colossians is supposed to have a very similar effect. As you spend time and patience and trusting God going towards Christ to see his glory, you also need to turn back and look back at your own life. And you should look at it differently. Because as a result of seeing the beauty and glory of Christ, when you look back on your life, you should have a totally new perspective of its fragility, of its worth, and what's most important. When you understand how Christ and going towards Christ has drawn us out of a limited, self-centered way of thinking and shown you God's big picture plan in Christ. Life has to be different. It has to be different. And it's not just different because of the way you look at your life, but the way you live your life. And that is all summed up in one verse in Colossians, which is Colossians 2.6. Colossians 2.6, in many ways, is a thesis for the entire book of Colossians, which says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Not just believe the gospel and walk away the same. Believe the gospel. Recognize the glory of Christ is too amazing to see and not be transformed. 
and then continue to live with him. Continue to find communion with him. Continue to find your greatest joy in him because he has given you more than enough of himself to recognize he is worthy, not just of a whole life with him, but of an eternal life with him. The book of Colossians explains how union in Christ will change your life in many, many different ways. Living life in Christ means growing. It means growing in God and growing in godliness. Living in life in Christ means finding success in fighting sin. Living life in Christ means real friendships. It means receiving true and lasting unity with each other. No difference of culture, social class, or personality could possibly divide people who are in Christ, at least not permanently. Living life in Christ means executing earthly desires and habits. Earthly desires are things that invite God's wrath. They are incompatible with your resurrection life. And they will things that God has taken away because of the new life he has given you in Christ. Living life in Christ means walking with heavenly clothes. It means God has literally designed new clothes for you. He's given you the ability to live a righteous life because he has freely given you the character attributes he has perfectly. He has given you kindness and humility and meekness and compassion and patience and forgiveness and love. And you can not only live out those things righteously, but you can do them willingly and joyfully. Living life in Christ means having all wisdom and knowledge. It means receiving ultimate peace. It means being able to share ultimate truth. And it means being able to be honestly motivated to worship an ultimate savior. And living in Christ also means that God hears you. It means that you can trust that prayer works and God's wisdom for your life works. And that you can be motivated to do both of those things because of the power of God to transform anyone, anywhere, no matter their sin, no matter their suffering, no matter their stubbornness of heart, they can be transformed by the power of God. The point is that the gospel isn't a one-time only deal. It's a gift so amazing that it changes everything around you. And so there's another way to say this that I hope is clear enough. Life with Christ is different. We're going to have lots of people in this world who will come and say, being Christian isn't that different from the life I live. I like good things, you like good things. I want to live a good life, you want to live a good life. You can be a Christian and live like us. You can be a Christian and love the stuff we love. You can be a Christian and we will believe on most things. And if you really understand who Christ is and you understand what he has saved us from, most especially that he saved us from ourselves, you will walk away and say, there is no way that our lives are the same. No way. It's not because I'm better than you. It's not because I've done more than you. It's because Christ is better than all of us and he has called us to live a radically different life than we did before because it's not about me. It's all about him. And life is good because it's about him. Living life in Christ is different from the world because when believers recognize how good it is to live a life with Christ, not only is there nothing about Christ they would want to change, but there is nothing about the life that Christ commands us to live that we would want to change. Obedience to him becomes a good thing, becomes a joyful thing. And it means we can't stand living the way we did. It means we can't stand living like shallow Christians, where Christ comes up in name only, but has nothing to do with action. It means when someone says to you, yes, I'm a Christian, you want to respond, yes, but what does that mean to you? 
When someone says, yes, I believe in Christ, and you respond, yes, what does that mean to you? Because Christ is more than a name, and he's much more than this world makes him out to be. And because of that, life is radically different. And the point Paul is really bringing home to the end of the day is that even your relationships become different. Something becomes special about the church because you recognize it's many broken people who have come to realize that our brokenness will be reconciled one day by Christ through a recreated kingdom and that we might worship joyfully together knowing we have received eternally more than we deserve. And it also changes all of the relationships we have after. We become different kinds of married people. We become different kinds of workers and co-workers. We become different kind of children to our parents and different kinds of brothers and sisters to our other siblings. It means I can't be comfortable being disobedient or hating people because I can't hate Christ's plan for my life. It means I can't be comfortable being in a relationship or dating or marrying someone who doesn't know who Christ is or doesn't obey Christ. Because Christ is everything and everything is heading towards his kingdom. When everything actually becomes about Christ, you recognize the joy that is going to be here one day when Christ comes again and fixes everything, absolutely everything. And he's given you the most beautiful taste of that now by not just getting acceptance through the gospel, but getting to live with him now and then forever. And that's why Paul talks about thankfulness so much. Because the more you know Christ, the more you want to know about Christ. And you understand that Christ is inviting you into more and more of himself. And as you receive more of that, you receive more of the joy in that, of seeing everything God is doing to fix the world through Christ, you will walk closer with him. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's left for Christ will last. C.T. Stead, who wrote that poem, was dead on when he wrote that and repeated that over and over and over again. That's an invitation to a life that has so much more. And I hope that any time you go back to the book of Colossians, you'll be able to repeat that and dwell on that and love that so that you won't be forced into a kind of lifestyle that says, you must be better, you must be better. But you would be invited instead into a life that says, Christ is better. He's better than me, greater than my sin, but his mercy is more. And he doesn't just want to save me and ignore me. He wants to reconcile me to my heavenly father Make me a child of God and allow me to live in eternal joy and pleasure with him for eternity. Doing what we were designed to do, just glorify him. I hope at least two of those things on a very basic level are something you can get anytime you read the book of Colossians. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this book. Thank you for this group. Thank you so much for these students. Thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ, and thank you for future brothers and sisters of Christ, Lord. I pray for anyone in this room who doesn't know Christ or doesn't recognize the goodness that you have revealed to us in Christ, but I pray that you would break all of our hearts to recognize just how desperate a situation we were in. Lord, we were alienated, hostile in mind, separated from you, 
with no chance of earning our way back to you. You are too holy, too infinitely good that we could ever buy back the penalty of our sin. So your son came and lived a perfect life to give to us and he died a death in which he was punished for all of our sin in order that you would be holy and just and yet still be able to invite unworthy sinners into eternal life with you and your kingdom. Lord, we hope that you would open our eyes more to the brokenness and suffering in this world. Lord, we know that as sinners, we've contributed to it, but you are restoring it. So we can trust you in your sovereignty that you have a plan for everything that's happening with us right now. You have a plan for all the suffering that we are part of. You have a plan for all the sin and the shame that we can't seem to get rid of. All of the guilt that we are hiding secretly that we think you could never ever forgive. But Christ, you have died for that sin already. And there is absolutely nothing in the way of us coming to you. So Lord, let us come to you constantly. Please let us walk beside you and recognize your free love for us. Even while we were sinners, your son died for us. So Lord, let us live for you and for your glory. Lord, as we spend time in our small groups, let us consider the importance of Christ and who he really is and what he is doing on our behalf right now. And Lord, let us consider the ways that we can spend our summer meditating on how good you are to us, what you are doing in our lives, the good plan you have for us, that we would want to devote time, Lord, to know you more, to meditate on your truth that you've given for us so that we might recognize with more and more assurance that pleasing you truly is the best life that can possibly be lived. Thank you for your free love, the grace that you have bestowed on us, and Lord, let us in all of these things be so thankful for what you've done for us. We thank you for this time when we pray all this in your name. Amen.